TOB number 14, general audience of January 9th, 1980. As we reread and analyze the second creation account, that is, the Yahweh's text, we must ask ourselves whether the first man, Adam, in his original solitude, lived the world truly as a gift, with an attitude that conforms to the actual condition of someone who has received a gift as one can gather from the account in Genesis chapter 1. The second account, in fact, shows us man in the Garden of Eden, see Genesis chapter 2 verse 8, but we must observe that though man existed in the situation of original happiness, the Creator himself, God Yahweh, and then also the man, emphasize that the man is alone, instead of underlining the aspect of the world as a subjectively beatifying gift created for man. See the first narrative, and especially Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. We have already analyzed the meaning of original solitude. Now, however, it is necessary to note that for the first time there clearly appears a certain lack of good. It is not good that the man, male, should be alone, God Yahweh says. I want to make him a help. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The same thing is affirmed by the first man. He too, after having become completely conscious of his own solitude among all the living beings on the earth, awaits a help similar to himself. None of these beings, Anamalia, in fact, offers man the basic conditions that make it possible to exist in a relation of reciprocal gift. Gift. Mystery of a Beatifying Beginning. In this way, then, these two expressions, that is, the adjective alone, and the noun help seem truly to be the key for understanding the essence of the gift on the level of man as the existential content inscribed in the truth of the image of God. In fact, the gift reveals, so to speak, a particular characteristic of personal existence or even of the very essence of the person. When God Yahweh says it is not good that the man should be alone, Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, he affirms that alone the man does not completely realize this essence. He realizes it only by existing with someone, and put even more deeply and completely, by existing for someone. This norm of existing as a person is demonstrated in Genesis as a characteristic of creation, precisely by the meaning of these two words, alone and help. They point out how fundamental and constitutive the relationship and the communion of persons is for man. Communion of persons means living in a reciprocal for, in a relationship of reciprocal gift, and this relationship is precisely the fulfillment of man's original solitude. In its origin, such a fulfillment is beatifying. Undoubtedly, it is implicit in man's original solitude and precisely constitutes the happiness that belongs to the mystery of creation made by love, that is, it belongs to the very essence of creative giving. When the male man, awakened from his Genesis sleep, says, This time she is flesh from my flesh and bone from my bones, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, these words in some way express the subjectively beatifying beginning of man's existence in the world, inasmuch as this expression of joy was verified at the beginning. It confirms the process of man's individuation in the world, and is born, so to speak, from the very depth of his human solitude. 
which he lives as a person in the face of all other creatures and all living beings on Amalia. This beginning, too, belongs thus to an adequate anthropology and can always be verified based on that anthropology. This purely anthropological verification brings us, at the same time, to the topic of the person and to the topic of body-sex. This simultaneity is essential. In fact, if we dealt with sex without the person, this would destroy the whole adequacy of the anthropology that we find in Genesis. Moreover, for our theological study, it would veil the essential light of the revelation of the body, which shines through these first statements with such great fullness. There is a strong link between the mystery of creation as a gift that springs from love and that beatifying beginning of man's existence as male and female, and the whole truth of their bodies and of their sexes, which is a simple and pure truth of communion between the persons. When the first man exclaims at the sight of the woman, she is flesh from my flesh and bones from my bones, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, he simply affirms the human identity of both. By exclaiming this, he seems to say, look, a body that expresses the person, Following an earlier passage of the Yahweh's text, one can also say that this body reveals the living soul, which man became when God Yahweh breathed life into him. See Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. His solitude before all other living beings began in virtue of this act. Exactly through the depth of that original solitude, man now emerges in the dimension of reciprocal gift, the expression of which by that very fact, the expression of his existence as a person is the human body and all the original truth of its masculinity and femininity. The body which expresses femininity for masculinity and vice versa, masculinity for femininity, manifests the reciprocity and the communion of persons. It expresses it through gift as the fundamental characteristic of personal existence. This is the body a witness to creation as a fundamental gift, and therefore a witness to love as the source from which this same giving springs. Masculinity, femininity, namely sex, is the original sign of a creative donation, and at the same time, the sign of a gift that man, male, female, becomes aware of as a gift lived, so to speak, in an original way. This is the meaning with which sex enters into the theology of the body. Discovery of the spousal meaning of the body. This beatifying beginning of man's being and existing as male and female is connected with the revelation and the discovery of the meaning of the body that is rightly called spousal. If we speak of revelation together with discovery, we do so in reference to to the specificity of the Yahweh's text, in which the theological guiding thread is also anthropological, or better still, appears as a certain reality that is consciously lived by man. We have already observed that after the words expressing the first joy of man's coming into existence as male and female, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, there follows the verse that establishes their conjugal unity, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and then the one that attests the nakedness of both without reciprocal shame, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, 
that these verses face each other in such a significant way allows us to speak of revelation together with the discovery of the spousal meaning of the body in the mystery of creation. This meaning, inasmuch as it is revealed and also consciously lived by man, completely confirms the fact that creative giving, which springs from love, has reached man's original consciousness by becoming an experience of reciprocal gift, as one can already see in the archaic text. A testimony to this fact seems also to be, perhaps even in a very specific way, that nakedness of both our first parents, free from shame. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 speaks about the ordering of man's masculinity and femininity to an end in the life of the spouse's parents, uniting so closely with each other that they become one flesh. They place their humanity in some way under the blessing of fruitfulness, that is, of procreation, about which the first account speaks, Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Man enters into being with the consciousness that his own masculinity, femininity, that is, his own sexuality, is ordered to an end. At the same time, the words of Genesis chapter 2 verse 25, both were naked, the man and his wife, but they did not feel shame, seem to add to this fundamental truth of the meaning of the human body, of its masculinity and femininity, another truth that is not in any way less essential and fundamental. Aware of the procreative power of his own body and of his own sex, man is at the same time free from the constraint of his own body and his own sex. The original reciprocal nakedness, which was at the same time not weighed down by shame, expresses such an interior freedom in man. Is this freedom a freedom from sexual drive? The concept of drive already implies an inner constraint, analogous to the instinct that stimulates fruitfulness and procreation in the whole world of living beings, animalia. It seems, however, that both Genesis texts, the first and the second account of the creation of man, sufficiently connect the perspective of procreation with the fundamental characteristic of human existence in the personal sense. Consequently, the analogy of the human body and of sex in relation to the world of animals, which we can call analogy of nature, is in both accounts, though in each in a different way, also raised in some way to the level of image of God and to the level of the person in communion among persons. To this essential problem, we will have to devote further analyses. For the consciousness of man also for that of contemporary man, it is important to know that in the biblical texts that speak about man's beginning, one can find the revelation of the spousal meaning of the body. However, it is even more important to establish what this meaning properly expresses.